Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we talk about Oscars from the years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who loves to fly into space at incredible speeds, Palmer. How are you today? I'm all right. How about you? I am doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well, Palmer. We're here to talk about the 1984 Best Picture nominees for the Academy Awards. Yay. I was going to ask how you feel about that, but apparently you feel yay, yay. about it. So that's, uh, that's, where, that's where we'll start off. Palmer, the movies yes. are as follows. Terms of Endearment, The Right Stuff, The Dresser, Tender Mercies, and The Big Chill. Palmer, what won Best Picture? Mm, uh, terms of Endearment? That is correct. It yay. was indeed. Yay. Terms of Endearment. Did you guess that because it was the best movie or because it felt like a movie that would, should win or the Academy would vote for? Uh, it was a one in five chance. That one. That's a yeah, close enough. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff. It was a 20 percent chance. Yeah, there sure was, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so, Palma, we're gonna start with the we're gonna start with the big chill. How do you feel about that? I'm a little warm. I had to shut off my AC. So, oh, so <laughs> you know, I appreciate that because I really don't want to like I don't want to edit out a uh, you know a uh, you know low hum the whole time or something like that. You mean you can edit that stuff out? Oh, I'm gonna remember that next time. You sure you sure can. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so uh let's get started with um let's get started with the big chill, directed by Lawrence Kasdan, written by Lawrence Kasdan and Barbara Benedict Benedict Benedek, starring Tom Berenger, Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Mary Kay Place, Meg Tilly, and Jobeth Williams. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress for Glenn Close, and Original Screenplay. This movie won zero awards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The plot involves a group of seven former college friends who gather for a weekend reunion after the funeral of another one of their college friends. Palmer. This, yes. This was, a, it was certainly a movie that I watched. I enjoyed it. Had some nice acting from everybody. And uh, that's uh, it's about the whole kit and caboodle, I feel, around um, this movie. I mean, I felt that this was the most 80s movie to ever 80s movie. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if it was sexy enough, but although actually it was kind of. Yeah, yeah, no, you, no, you had no. people having sex at the end. Yeah, no, um, I'm going to say, yep, I think you're right then. This is the sexiest of the sex of uh, the sexy 80s movies, so yeah. Between between that, the obvious, like, guy needs to have uh, cocaine um, addiction to the very 80s-style, like, knit sweaters and um, and very, like... I wouldn't say bougie, but very um, – what's the uh, preppy look mm-hmm. that everyone has? Um, yeah. 
Yes, I it, the it, the, it, it the was, one earring that uh, John Hurt has to make oh, me believe he's a, to make me believe he's like you know one thing removed from a hippie, which I'll never believe about John Hurt ever. Me, that's the thing I was watching. Anytime I see John Hurt in an '80s movie, particularly, it's something about the '80s movies, the like the roles that he was cast in. I just like I just don't believe you. Every yeah. <laughs> time. I never believe you. And I like John Hurt. He's a yeah. good actor. I think he just needed to, like, get into his 40s and take, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, he's just too, like, he's just always has this, like, he has this, like, wisdom about him, even if his character's supposed to be dumb as stones. Right. And so I just, I just never buy, I just never buy it. Yeah. The, the soundtrack I really loved. Uh, yes, soundtrack was great, and they, they, it was a nice uh, di- didactic music. It was like playing like uh, like right. In, it played right into the tone of the characters because they responded to it. You know, because yeah. it was Kevin Klein who had very unlike Kevin Klein hair in this movie. I must yep. say, it was wild and very unlike Kevin Klein shorts. Well, weren't they short? That was so. Yep. That was very very yep, the eighty short 80s. shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I uh, I enjoyed the dynamics between I enjoyed the dynamics between all these characters, and I I like that it's just like a th- they're all thirty something years old, yep. and they're like we we were the best versions of ourselves because when we were together, and now that we don't see each other anymore, we've kind of lost that strand. We've gone down directions that we shouldn't have gone down, and we kind we've of need each hobos. other. To, right? Do we need each other? to show like to be each other's support and i thought that was an it was a nice message but i i honestly don't understand why it was nominated uh i don't yeah i mean there's an, i don't want to say there's no real conflict in the movie cuz the conflict is kind of like them like the the some of them gather. trying to figure out where they are in right. life but it's – I don't know if it's a movie-worthy conflict. I, that, You know, maybe that's a good point. It, but, you know, I, but by the end of it, even though they gathered because their, you know, their friend had died and, you know, and everything, like, it's a sad reason for them to be together. Mm-hmm. But but it allows them to – but it allows them, to, like, some – modicum of joy to be together you know right. to reestablish something that they had like seriously lost in themselves mm-hmm. and with each other so like it's like you're right that but i think like the mostly the conflict is the setup and not really the execution of the film yeah um and boy the uh the one person who's not really a part of the group who's only there because uh, she was the girlfriend of the guy who died. She moves on pretty quickly. She sure does. And they comment on that, too, because they're like, oh, she's young. And I'm like, really? That's your reason? I mean, she's she is young. young. I know. But even then, like, you have Jeff Goldblum who's like, hey, Chloe. Uh, hey. Um, At the funeral. Jeff Goldblum. Right. Yep. At I'm the just funeral. Che- just checking in on you. Hey. Hey. Like, I read People <laughs> Magazine. Hey. Um, we got two Jeff Goldblums this, uh, this lineup. That was exciting. I didn't expect... Two blooms of gold. Mm-hmm. I mean, he shows up everywhere. Apparently. This he year. moves in mysterious ways. He sure does. 
No one exactly knows how he's able to move his limbs like that, but you know. But yeah, well, you know, overall, it, it's a fine movie. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't watch it again, but I'm not nope. upset. But I'm not upset that I watched it. And if it was like, if I had to watch it again, I wouldn't complain. If that makes sense, it's yeah, just I, a movie that I saw. I mean, it has a following. You know why? Because it's not bad. It's like it's good. It just isn't anything but what it is, which is just a movie about right. friends connecting. But that, like that, like it baffles me. Like a movie that's just generically okay has like a cult following. Well, but I mean, a lot of movies that are also notoriously bad have cult followings too. Yeah, but at least they move the needle one way or the other. Like, this is just like, like, if you think a movie's bad, say it's in the negative uh, area, really good in the positive. This is like decidedly at zero. Yes. I'm actually going to, um, um, I'm actually going to see what other, we did this, I think, one episode this season where I'm like, what other movies uh, came out this year? Yeah. Um, well, and- you should really wait to the end because I think... <laughs> I think you should wait to the end because too there's a good chance it. we would say that about a lot of these movies. I'm already looking, so it's no, too late. All right. Well, fine. Cujo came out this year. Yeah, that wasn't getting nominated. Jaws 3 came out this year. That should have been nominated. Superman 3 came out this year. Probably Psycho not. 2. Wow, I can really see why they <laughs> nominated I, this I can really, now. I can really see why there was nothing else nominated. Um, Octopussy, Never Say Never Again. Oh, Ris- yeah, that's right. Risky Business, Trading mm. Places, The Dead okay. Zone, Christine, Ooh. War Games... Th- Flash three dance. Steven Spielberg, uh, three Stephen King movies. Yeah, well, yeah. big year. Um, War Flash games, dance? Flashdance, Scarface, and The Outsiders. I knew about Scarface and Outsiders. Um, Francis Ford Coppola. So a little surprising. Yeah. So like, I would say like The Outsiders. Um. um yeah, maybe I don't, maybe Scarface. I don't, I'm not, I don't really I don't like Scarface. Love, yeah, but, no, neither do I. Yeah, uh, I don't love um, War Games. No, I think that's the, a, that's it's not a real. movie that's very much of its time. Yeah, that uh, movie is also definitely not like yeah. an Oscar movie. If I was going to pick a Stephen King movie out of those, uh, I would go with Christine. I think that might be my favorite out of out of that bunch. Sure. Also, not Oscar movies. Yeah, um, not Return Oscar of, worthy. Return of the Jedi. Star Wars: Return of the Jedi also came out. Oh, see, that should have been nominated. Yeah. So, but I mean, that is the you... best of the of the original trilogy, and at least in the top five altogether. You know, I don't know if Return of the Jedi is in my top five. It should think, be. I have to think about that. I like Return of the Jedi. I think it culminates well. I don't like, but I I think it drags in the middle, and I I think that's like I mean when a I was lot a kid, of Star Wars movies do. Also true, but um, I there's something about that where I'm like you're like okay, like something's do do with something, and I yeah. so um, um but yeah, that's really my only complaint about that movie. Yeah, so but we're see, not I here found, to talk about. I found two Wars. movies to replace, so I would. Definitely replace this one, I think. I would think out of the five. I, I would replace, replace I would replace two out of the f- 
five, but we'll get to that. So anyway, yeah, big I, show. I would definitely replace two out of the five. I don't know if this is one of them. This just because I have limited options now. This is one of them, but uh, but also I liked it. Like there wasn't. Yeah, like I, I said, I like it was the just, cast. Like, I think that's really what did it for me. Like I I yeah, enjoy no, all of those people. So yes, but I don't think they're. I don't think they're doing anything above what we've seen them do before. And again, we're looking at this in the past tense. So we've seen these guys all go on to better projects. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe at the time you don't have that. But but again, like it's the, I can't say I dislike the movie. It's generically fine. I just don't think it stands out above a lot of other movies I've kind of seen over the years. Yep, I'd agree with that. Give me some fun facts, if there are some. Yes, there are. (gasps) Flashback scenes with Kevin Costner as Alex were filmed, but then cut out of the movie. Costner is still visible as the body being dressed at the beginning of the film. Huh. Yep. Wow. The characters were based on people Lawrence Cashton lived with in Eugene V. Debs' Co-op in Ann Arbor, Michigan. While attending the University of Michigan, co-ops are co-ed housing in which the residents share household duties like cooking. This explains why the characters are so comfortable sharing the house and cooking and are so attached to the Michigan football game. Hmm. Interesting. Director trademark. Indiana Jones, as he's... Indiana mm-hmm. Jones, as he fights off the bat, Harold Cooper, Kevin Klein. Hums the theme of Raiders of the Lost Ark, a movie whose screenplay was written by Kasdan. Sam Weber appearance. Sam Weber's appearance and career as a television actor resemble Tom Selleck, who had to turn down the role of Indiana Jones due to a commitment on Magnum PI. Well, that well, there you go. Isn't that yeah. fun? It is. Um, didn't Kasdan also do um, a Star Wars movie? Kasdan wrote Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's, what, that's what I thought. And this was better so, than that. And solo question mark? I uh, I thought it was one of the new trilogy. Kasdan wrote Force Awakens and yeah. Solo. I was right. Oh, man. He really is good. Well, you know what? I'm he glad. Wrote, he also I'm, wrote The Bodyguard in Wyatt Earp. Well, The Bodyguard is <gasps> great. He wrote The Accidental Tourist, if you remember that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he also wrote Return of the Jedi, so be careful what you say. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, like, he's got some he's got some hits and he's got some really bad misses. Wow, is he just so, isn't he just a person? Good for him then. Yeah, All when right. You, when you take out the good and bad, you get nominated for the <laughs> for the just okay movie. Oh goodness gracious! Okay, so let's move on to Tender Mercies. Okay, di- directed by Bruce Berensford. Beresford. Written yeah, by I took Cor- out any fun fact that listed his name because I'm like, I'm not going to try and pronounce that. Bruce Beresford. There you go. Bruce. Written by Horton Foote. Uh, starring Robert Duvall, Tess Harper, better Betty Buckley, and Wilford Brimley. Uh, yay, Wilford Brimley. Yay, he remembers. Um, so, <laughs> nominated for Best Picture, Director, and Original Song entitled Over You. This movie won Best Actor for Duvall and Original Screenplay. Uh, the story revolves around a broken-down middle-aged country singer who gets a new wife, reaches out to his long-lost daughter, and tries to put his troubled life back together. Um, I think, just like The Big Chill, this movie is competent in what it is, 
and it doesn't really do anything extraordinary or special. Uh, we texted about this. I feel this like is a, it. This is a pretty okay half a movie. Yeah, it, it feels like it skipped places just as it was going. I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is happening now. Oh, yeah. okay, I guess this is happening now. Oh, okay, I guess yep. this is happening now. And that was fine. But I think even through that, I think Duvall is quite. I think Duvall's quite good. Not his it's best, probably but he's but he's but he's right again. Not his best, just like just like Big Chill. But he is very good because he's Robert Duvall. He's always very yeah. good. Um, and I agree. Like this is they filmed like every other page of this script or every third page because it's like the beginning of the movie. You know, he's supposed to be a washed up. Uh, alcoholic country singer and the only time the alcohol really ever shows up is the very beginning of the movie as the title as the as the Mm -hmm. title and the cast are rolling and it's like all right i'm gonna quit drinking the easiest quitting drinking ever in the history of movies yep yeah, he was like, "Okay, I'm done." Yeah, like, oh, 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 I'm I'm broke, so I can do jobs around the motel to pay my to pay my bill. And now I love you, and now I want to marry you. Okay, we're married. It, yep. Like the movie just goes places and expects you to just be like, "I guess it happened." Yep, that's that's how I felt too. I will say. I was very impressed with Duvall's guitar and singing voice, if that was in fact him, which I think it was. Yes. Is that a fun fact? Maybe. I don't know. Okay, great. I think if it was him, it was excellent, and I thought that Betty Buckley was very good, and I enjoyed that they let her just sing a couple songs just because she's Betty Buckley. <laughs> and um, but, Yes, it was him, and it's not part of my fun facts. So, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, I, like I, was, I did not know Robert Duvall had that skill. And so I was um, – it was a pleasant surprise. Uh, I will not watch this movie again, however. Nope. I nope. did it, it just didn't – Yeah. This is a movie I would replace. I guess. The, I think that's what The Big Chill – The Big Chill and Tender Mercies are like my replaceable movies. Maybe one of the other ones. But I would definitely replace Tender Mercies yeah. with The Outsiders, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Stay gold, pony boy. Exactly. Uh, good book. Good movie. Anyway, um, I don't really have anything else to add about this movie. No, there's, there's not a lot to say about this not movie. A lot, there's not yeah. a lot to this movie. And, and again, like the only real conflict in this movie shows up in like the last 15 minutes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this was like... This was like this was so. This was made in nine. This came out in eighty three. Right. So I like I was watching a lot of these movies, and I was like, was nothing going on, like that you could talk about, make a movie no. about. No. Like this is what this is this is what America wanted to see. Like so strange. Yeah, because I don't like. Because I believe at this point, Reagan is in the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't believe at this point, like any of the, of like the bad 80s stuff has happened yet. So this is like Reagan the, like went the, to the 80, White House in 81. So yeah. So the, like, I don't, I don't believe like maybe the 80s recession is just starting. 
Um, I don't know if they've tackled the or if they've tried to start tackling the war on drugs yet. You know, all the things that we remember from the 80s, the AIDS um, epidemic at least hasn't been hasn't caught on to um, it doesn't really catch on to films until the 90s anyway. Well, I was just saying, like, even in, like, news or that. Oh, um, sure. Even though it was probably, you know, it was going on, it's it hasn't, like, made its leap into the foreground yet. Yeah. Yeah, it's just this is, this is, a, this is a weak sauce year across yeah. the board. Yep. Um, so, well, there, there you have it. So yeah. uh, give me some fun facts on this. The film was originally released on March 4th, 1983, in only three movie theaters in New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago. This was due perhaps in part to poor test screenings, which had caused Universal executives to lose faith, but also because Universal Pictures had released the far more expensive and anticipated Scarface the same year and was spending most of its advertising budget to promote that film instead. Willie Nelson was nonetheless one of the several country performers who were impressed by the authenticity of Duvall's performance and offered to help promote it. However, studio executives told Duvall that they did not understand how someone like Nelson could help publicize it. Duvall later reflected that this was indicative of the studio's lack of understanding about both the genre and the film. Well, yep, there you have it. That explains a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. The The studio execs were like, we have no idea what to do with this movie. All right, you gave us a cut of it. Great. Yep. This movie features no music score, though one was composed. But director had it removed as he felt it was too phony and saccharine. The only music in the film, therefore, is the country and western singing. Oh, there you go. Yep. Robert Duvall made his official cinema movie debut as Arthur Boo Radley in To Kill a Mockingbird, whose screenplay was written by Horton Foote. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Well, there you go. Yeah. I always forget that he's Boo Radley. Yeah, yeah, I always forget that. Always, always. Let's talk about something that does not take place in America, The Dresser. Directed by Peter Yates, written by Ronald Harwood, based on his own play entitled The Dresser. Starring Sir Tom Courtney and Albert Finney. Nominated for Best Picture, Actor for Courtney and for Finney. Director and Adapted Screenplay. This movie won zero awards. Mm-hmm. Story is about a personal assistant named Norman, who is the dresser for a deteriorating veteran stage actor uh, entitled Sir in the play, and who struggles to get him through a difficult performance of King Lear that is occurring during the Blitz on London. So there you go. That's, yeah. that's the dresser. I have seen this before. I had not seen... This, this version. Uh, I had not seen this version. I had seen the one done a couple years ago, maybe just last year, maybe two, with Ian McKellen as Norman and Anthony Hopkins as Sir. Um, and I, I enjoyed. I liked. I liked this play. I enjoyed mm-hmm. their version more than I liked this one because, it, not to totally compare uh, exactly, but I didn't really feel there was. The the connection between Sir and Norman to me was very one sided, in which it was Norman literally giving a hundred percent, and Sir, like obviously he's like 
going through some stuff. He like he's not exactly he's not stable. Mm-hmm. He's very ill and all that stuff. But I didn't really get the sense that um, that Sir had a connection with Norman. You know, okay. I, I didn't feel that there was real an, a, like a caring relationship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like it was all Norman and not anything from not anything from Sir. Uh, yeah okay yeah um and that's not i don't think that's the play i just think that's the way it come that's the way it came off from to that's just the way it came off uh, to me in in this film uh but i do love i do love the the structure of the play itself in Mm -hmm. in in like like he's deteriorating like that sir is deteriorating the way that lear is deteriorating and that like he's no spoilers like, i haven't seen king lear yet okay well spoilers uh and that like i king lear's over three hours i'm not gonna spoil much for you believe me um it, it, that like sir is kind of like the king of this acting troupe right he's the yes he's, he is. The, he's, he's the, the lead guy. actor he's the lead actor he is Lear himself, and so I like the juxtaposition between what the character that he's playing and what's happening to him in real life. And mm-hmm. I think if you know King Lear, the story is a lot richer because you get a lot of the illusions that they're making. But I also think the play does a good job at like giving you enough of that illusion without like throwing it in your face mm-hmm. or ex- explaining everything, play explaining everything to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, that's 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 about it. I mean, like I could. I think this is the um, the dresser is the densest piece um, from from this lineup. Like narratively, yes. the story. Absolutely. I think there's really like there's actual to... conflict in a story and an arc. Yeah, and and I think it really all boils down to whether you feel bad for Sir or not, or whether like or whether that you believe that he's ill or if you um like believe in the importance of the theater and acting and storytelling and what that does for people in times of turmoil and think things like and like how um like debilitating emotionally um Shakespeare can be particularly leer to play as an actor I think I think it works better the more you know um, I'd be curious, like, if you don't know anything about theater or acting or Shakespeare or, you know, World War II, you know, I guess, like, how does this play? How does this play? Yeah. I mean, I I absolutely loved Albert Finney in it. Uh, you know, for one, he just seemed like just the way he attacks roles is a very, like, theater style about him. Mm-hmm. Like he's always like shouting his lines to the back row and and going over the top, uh, which I think in the roles that I've seen him in are what work best, like as Daddy Warbucks, as Sir. I still haven't seen his um, his version of A Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. Right. I forgot about that. Yeah. But he's also the father. He's young Ewan McGregor in Big Fish. Yep. Yeah, I mean, among many, many things. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, so, like, Albert Finney's great in this. The guy who plays Norman Tom is Norman. also really, yeah, is, yeah, he's also really good. Uh, and they carry the movie. Like, they carry the movie because the movie, there's usually at least one 
of them in every single scene. Yeah, I, this is one of those movies that falls into you can tell it's a play movie. Yeah. Um, um, although th- this movie at the beginning has a lot of different set pieces, so they really took it off of the stage yes. to adapt it to the mo- to adapt it to a movie, which I did like. It's true, but once they arrive at the new theater to do Lear, right. that's mm-hmm. that's like okay, we're yeah. in it. We're it's a play now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and while you're right, I don't feel like, I don't feel like Sir had an emotional connection with Norman as much as the play, as much as the story wants me to think it or believe it. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think him and Norm, like, uh, Albert Finney and Norman are really good together. They play off of each other really well, even though I don't get that symbiotic kind of relationship. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with not getting it. Like I'm okay because I, at the end I felt like he did have, he did have some respect or friendship with Norman, even though he never really shows it. Um, just the fact like how Norman's able to talk frankly with him and kind of yell at him and this actor will let him and kind of and and not really um not really like reprimand him about it sure or, mm-hmm. so i see it there and that's enough for me to kind of get what the play is trying to give me that's good i mean that yeah. makes sense my wife came in while we were um while i was watching while i was watching it and mm-hmm. um um, Albert French Sir had all his Lear makeup on, you yeah. know, like the like heavy stage makeup with the lines and the yeah. this, and she's like, Ugh. like, what is that? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, run. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, no, and then it like it gave enough of it gave enough of like some of the bits and pieces from King Lear that I'm like, I want to watch King Lear now. Although at the same time, like apparently there's apparently in the in a play called King Lear, the main the main character whose name is in the play is off stage long enough for the guy to be able to take a nap. Yeah, that's correct. He has like tons. He's like he's always on stage basically at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then he disappears for he's like a i'm good out tr- basically disappears for a good chunk of the show and it deals with like grappling for the throne and his daughters and like all this stuff and then he comes back in because then L- lear requires lear you need to be older to play because he's supposed to be in his 80s the right. ki- king lear in the first 80s 90s and so that's like the heavy makeup plus being older in the first place to have that like gate about you but it requires right. like the um, like your emotions are at an eleven all the time. Yeah. Like everything is everything is like I don't know. Everything is like internet fandom level of like yelling, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like it's like that amount of like like ardor. Um yeah. but but on stage it's very tiring. So if you're doing that like once and a day, then, twice a day for a week. It's just like yeah. it's, it's it's tough. 
And um, then he disappears for the length of a Bible. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's tough. You know, Shakespeare knew how to give people breaks. Yeah. Um, it's weird because, like, so at the beginning they're doing Othello. Uh, um, is that what they were doing? Yes, they oh, were okay. doing Othello. That's the first play you see them kind of wrapping up. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, that's right, because he's like, yeah. I'm a better Iago, never than you. That's correct. Yeah, okay, yeah. right, right. And, um, like, so Albert Finney is in blackface playing Othello, which was unfortunately a common thing back then. Sure was. Um, but I will say, like, this was, like, the least amount of blackface I think I've ever seen. That was um, that was the maybe that was the eighties trying to be good about it. <laughs> maybe well un- until later on in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like because like I didn't like I've never seen Othello, so uh, a couple of good a couple of good films of Othello. Actually. Yeah, unfortunately, there's one we're going to be watching, which oh. is not one of the good ones. Oh no, yeah, because it's uh, Olivier. Uh, that doesn't always mean that it's a bad one, though. Oh no, the blackface is horrible. Oh, it's yes. Yeah. N- never mind. Um I so forgot. yeah. So um, I thought you meant like Olivia cuz I thought of like yes, we didn't care for his Hamlet, but I liked his Henry V. So like yeah. I was So you have um so I didn't understand it was Othello. Like I thought it was a really weird Romeo and Juliet cuz the guy is killing himself and the girl is already dead. Like this is apparently how every Shakespeare play ends. Um, the sad ones, <laughs> if they either end in death or marriage, that's how Shakespeare Isn't that ends. the same thing? Oh, got him. Give me some fun facts. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Fun facts. Orson Welles and Sir Michael Caine considered collaborating on this in the early 1980s. That would have been great. I would have loved to have seen that. That yep. would have been great. I, I just said that. I'm just agreeing with you. <laughs> Three weeks of filming essential interiors at Pinewood Studio were followed by an intensive schedule of location work. Sites were chosen in London in Britain's northern provincial towns to parallel the background locale of a stage company on the move in wartime. While theaters, railway stations, hospitals, market squares, and streets were scrutinized by publisher, by producer and director Peter Yates and production designer Stephen Grimes for authenticity. Very good. This movie has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 14 critic reviews. Hmm. I do like the scene in the, uh, in the railway station where Norman, like, bolts out of a train and is like, all right, you guys got two minutes. And, like, he runs to the next train and is like, look, they're all old. <laughs> like, can you hold up the train? And they're just, like, gently walking through the station. <laughs> like, <laughs> gotta go. Yeah. That was funny. I enjoyed that. And then, like, Al- and then Albert Finney from the, from the steps, like, yells to halt the train. <laughs> There's nothing like Albert Finney yelling at you. I feel yeah. like that would have been a horrifying experience in real uh, life. It would have been. Would have been terrible. Yep. Um, let's move on to The Right Stuff, directed by... The Reichstag? No. No, let us not do that. The Right Stuff, directed by Philip Kaufman, written by Philip Kaufman, based on the book by Tom Wolfe. Starring Sam Shepard, Scott Glenn, Ed Harris. 
Yeah, that's right. Scott Glenn, Ed Harris, Dennis Quaid, Fred Ward, Barbara Hershey, and Kim Stanley. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Shepard, Cinematography, and Production Design. This movie won sound, editing, special effects, and music. Story the story revolves around uh, the original Mer- Mercury 7 astronauts and their, quote, macho seat-of-the-pants approach to the space program. So it's basically the first 15 years of NASA. Yes. Yes. You know. Well, it's, sort the, of. it's the first it's 15, the 15 years of the 15 space years program. From the, from the astronauts' perspective, like we've seen the other side perspective uh, in Hidden Figures. That is correct, which came many years later. But this was also hidden. This this starts before, way before hidden figures. Right. This is them trying to get just somebody up in the air. Yeah. Before that, this is the first hour of this movie is them breaking, trying to break the sound barrier, like or or thereabouts. Like they do it pretty quickly into the beginning of the movie. Um, I never seen this, and I enjoyed it. Um, Uh, I neither have I. I it was it's three hours and fifteen minutes and I was like what are you possibly going to do in this movie for three hours and fifteen minutes and then I started watching I'm, it I was like oh I see oh I'm, I'm kind of still asking myself that question um I I it it moved quickly for me until about the last half an hour because at that point it had reached like. Okay, we're going to space. Okay, we're moving fast. Okay, we're you know it was less about their relationships and the building and this, and it was just like and then it was like the special effects spectacular part right. of it, uh, and that that became less interesting to me. Though this was the first, like this was really like the big first movie to to do like realistic space special effects, um, and so it, um, Star Trek. Re- this was one of the first movies to do realistic space special effects. Star Trek. Star Trek, the science fiction. Uh, in space, it was realistic. Uh, okay. So, um, no. So, I see you smiling. I know you're not serious. Uh, I see, I'm yeah, I smiling. I, that's, not, <laughs> that's not true. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I really enjoyed this. I thought the I thought the cast was I thought the cast was strong. Um, it it gives you this. I like how it it gives you this. Like they distrust one another into that scene where um, Lyndon Johnson tells um, John Glenn he's like, "Your wife's going to be on TV. Like, can't do anything about it." And he basically says, "No, I'm not doing that." She she's doesn't want to she's uncomfortable i back her up and then they're like oh well we guess you won't be flying and everyone's like "Mm, no he will be like hush hush uh i enjoyed that like i enjoyed the camaraderie in this film it's a weird scene but i particularly loved the um um body fluid scene in which like was it dennis quaid and i don't know who the other guy was in the stall they're supposed to give a sperm sample and they're just like mm. humming the the army and navy songs mm-hmm. yeah I, I thought that was hilarious um but uh yeah i enjoyed it i think it's thought the music was great the special effects were were top notch um many of them were just still like really good um the use of the use of real footage mixed in with mixed in with 
um, fictionalized um, fictionalized um, footage was good. Like there was a the first rocket that they tried to send up and it exploded. Right, whatever Mercury that was. Um, I like that it was the aspect ratio. It was a four three aspect ratio for the original footage and then when you showed their reaction they stayed within that aspect ratio so it like was to be as seamless as possible mm-hmm. i enjoyed that it was like pre-forced gump like inserting like you know what i mean like inserting him and into... still better than it well was good for its time wasn't it no i still think it's good the forest gump no 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 the right oh, stuff oh yeah no the right stuff. forest gump just looks like horribly uh green screen Oh, I know, but I'm saying it was good for its time. The right stuff still looks good. Yeah. This hasn't aged the same way. Um, so I will say that sometimes it's exhausting um, talking about movies that depict historical events with you, um, mainly because like, you're always like, well, I already know what's going to happen at the end, so it totally devoids of any dramatic effect. And, like, you'll hammer movies like Lincoln for that. But when it's something about space, you'll, like, you're all on board, which is fine. Except that I just, I except that I didn't say that for this movie. Exactly. Because you like space. No. I said the last, I said the last half hour is like, okay, let's get rolling because that's the part that. You know, I had said I mean, that you, earlier. You kind of know all of this already. I did some of it. I didn't know about the camaraderie between them and their wives did, and like yeah, that aspect. No, I, didn't, that, I didn't know about Jaeger and breaking the sound barrier. That was new for me. I enjoyed that information. And, you know, like Jeff Goldblum and, um, oh, shoot, uh, Harry Shear going around and like recruiting everybody. And, you know, that was all. That was all fun and new. Yeah, it was it was good. Like this is this is a decent movie, but there's no resistance in this movie whatsoever. And I just can't this seems to be a movie that was made by um this seems to be a movie whose sole purpose was to rally around the flag, like oh, one hundred percent. This seems uh, what um, pro- starts with a P. I'm blanking on the word right now. Patriotism? No, no, no. no. The other thing. They did it a lot in World War Two. Patting themselves on the back. No. <laughs> where you make a thing? Where you make a propaganda? A- Thank you. <laughs> yeah. This is like this was a bit. Yes, I agree. This is like such a propaganda piece that, like, the, my biggest problem with it is, yeah, I know we make it to space. Yeah, I know who who goes in orbit around the Earth. I know who's the first one up there. I know all these things. I want to see the difficulties of getting there. And this movie, I think, just completely glosses over any sort of resistance to doing it. It definitely does. That's that's where that news footage stuff comes in because they were like, our boys are going through the most rigorous things our scientists can come up with. And you're like, that's... But are they, though? Yeah, <laughs> I know, like that guy that. just like shaking in a chair, just like... Right. Uh, yes, I agree. Like, this was the completely like... 
this was the like hand it to a fourth grader look this is the history of the space program right like that's that's kind of what the, that's for the most part what this movie this and movie you know what is. it might be because they chose to focus on the astronauts and they're not the ones that had to they're not the ones that really had to build the machines make sure you know they were safe like yeah they're testing them and i would imagine there was some problems during that yeah but they weren't died. the ones that had yeah. to put the nuts and bolts together um, that could be that could be part of it, but I think this is also this is definitely in an era of like we're glossing over, you know, this is like 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 um, war movies. We're just like, out of the like, Nixon era, and we're like we don't. Yeah, we America. Need to, we good. need to believe. Yay. We need to. This is a we need to believe in America again yeah. film. Um, yeah, and so it's kind of like when we watch like the last season we watched that movie that World War Two film. With like the the people coming into the soldiers coming into the house, and everyone's just like, we're gonna chip in and be friends, and you know, it's like it's that kind of film. Yeah. Um, no, and just, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that takes away from the like no, how good I the like, music is, or how good I, the sound is, or how you no, know what it I definitely mean? doesn't. I, it, I'm just I'm talking about strictly story, plot point, and and uh, drama. Um, the the music's fine. Uh, the the um, the special effects are really good. I think they hold up pretty well to today. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And like this movie has a good amount of positive things to it. Like the acting's really good. Their their um, camaraderie is really good. I like as much as I don't as much as I don't like how there's no tension or even sort of hiccup along the way. It seems for them. I do like how the movie at times doesn't take itself so staunchly serious that they can show the astronauts kind of goofing off and doing other things that that you know don't necessarily don't necessarily make them look bad but don't like make them look like gods among men that this movie especially with the way it was going could have easily done it could have I mean this, there's even that conversation there's even that conversation though where they're like, you know, um, um, where they're like, we have a responsibility to be to the stockholders, to the yeah, to the like, to be morally upright because whether we like it or not, we're role models and people are looking right. at us. And um, yeah, you're like, all right, boys. Um, yeah. The one thing I will say though, like by all accounts, like from historians or whatever else, John Glenn was that nice of a person. Oh yeah, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that the people were changed to fit the movie. I don't think they were. I just think a lot of like like I said, I think a lot of the resistance and dramatic effect was was alleviated from the movie just to, because you don't put that in a propaganda piece. Like you don't put how difficult it was. It's always just like we're great end of story. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Let me also tell you the problems we have so you can continue to believe in us. Yes, that's yeah. kind of antithetical to propaganda. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can – I this kind of like the big chill or really any of these movies, honestly. I'd be like <laughs> – This was a bad year. Yeah, it was. You know what it was? It was a mediocre year because there's yeah, none of these – there's nothing bad. There's nothing really bad about yeah. any of these movies. I just – like most of them were just like – 
That was certainly a movie that I watched. Okay, yep. let's move on. Oh, look, yep. another movie that I've watched. Yeah, yep. that's... Yeah. Eh, well, you know what? We always run across this in the 80s, though. This is like... We do. This is, That is pretty much the 80s. They just nominated the wrong films. Yeah. Uh, obviously. We already, we already went through that. <laughs> Flashdance. Replace the yes. right stuff with Flashdance. <laughs> um, now, I'd probably keep the right stuff, just because... Uh, I would. I would... Uh, like I said, I'd definitely get rid of Tender Mercies, probably The Big Chill, and... Yeah, maybe the right stuff. I might get rid of the right stuff if I looked at every single movie that came out that year. Um, but for now, we'll keep it. Yeah, I would. I would definitely put in like um, Flashdance and yeah, I might the outside in Return of the Jedi. Oh, um, in Return of the Jedi, you're out. You're outright stuff. You're not the good space film. Get out. Yep. <laughs> Realistic space action. Give me Return of the Jedi. Oh goodness gracious! All right, let's talk about Terms of Endearment. Directed no, by... no, we are talking oh, about r- fun, fun facts. facts. Sorry, I'm sorry. I haven't forgotten fun facts in a long time. You haven't. The mysterious fireflies observed by John Glenn on his first orbital flight were actually tiny flakes of frost illuminated by sunlight. As the spacecraft orbited into darkness behind the Earth, the sub-zero temperatures caused condensation on its skin to freeze. When warmed by the sun on the other side of orbit, the temperature change caused some of the frost layers to break free and to be illuminated by the sun. This was confirmed by astronaut Scott Carpenter on the next Mercury flight when he banged on the craft's side, causing more of the flakes to break free and become visible. Huh. Well, so not aliens. No. Oh. The bartender who chews out Gordon Cooper, calling him a rookie and a pud knocker, is Florence Poncho Barnes, and she is well within her rights to put Cooper in his place. Barnes earned her pilot's license in 1928. She flew solo, crashed a plane, held the woman's speed record, taking it from Amelia Earhart, and worked as a stunt pilot in Hollywood on Hell's Angels. All before any of the Mercury 7 astronauts, with which Gorda was the youngest, born in 1927, reached the age of 10. As a pioneering... Um, Avatrix, she was truly made of the right stuff. Her story was told in a television movie, Poncho Barnes, starring Valerie Bertinelli. Well, okay. Well, there you have it. Yeah. This film contains the first realistic shots of spacecraft reentry. For long shots, visual visual effects supervisor Gary Ganides used a small model of the Mercury capsule. This was coated with flammable martial material and ignited and slid about 100 feet down a wire toward the camera, which was protected by a sheet of Lexan. For close-up shots, the re-entry, no actual fire was used. The larger model capsule in these shots had liquid nitrogen pumped into it. This immediately evaporated, producing a fog of condensation, which escaped through carefully placed ring vents around the base of the capsule to form a flame-like pattern around it. Then to make the color right, the effects would simply filmed in orange light. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Special effects are cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now let's talk about Terms of Endearment, uh, directed by James L. Brooks, written by Larry McMurty, based on the book by James L. Brooks. There you go. Starring Shirley MacLaine, Deborah Winger, um, Jack, is it Winger or Winger? It's Winger, right? Yeah. Winger. Okay. Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, Jeff Daniels, John Lithgow, and Lisa Hart Carroll. 
nominated for Best Actress for Winger, Supporting Actor for Lithgow, Production Design, Sound, Editing, and Music. This movie won Best Picture, Actress for Shirley MacLaine, Supporting Actor for Nicholson, Director, Adapted Screenplay. A story follows a hard-to-please uh, Aurora, played by Shirley MacLaine, looking for love and her daughter's family problems. Also featured deep and immense sadness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I added I added that last part because the, I uh, because the uh, Aurora looking for love and her daughter's family problems didn't really seem to sum up this movie the way that I wanted it to. <laughs> um, because... Oh, and then someone gets cancer and dies. Well, the thing is, like I read, I, so I had I never seen Terms of Endearment, so I read the I read the description, and it was like mm-hmm. it's a it's a comedy drama, and I was like, oh, that'll be exciting. I love I love comedies. I could use with some levity right yeah, now. It, it's like as good as it gets. Oh, isn't it just? It's like oh, it's kind of funny, but also it's not funny at all. It's like about Schmidt. And then Jack Nicholson won the award for best comedy, or he won the award for best drama, and he got up, got his acceptance speech, he was like, I'm a little confused because uh, I thought we made a comedy. (laughs) And I'm like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't (laughs) make a comedy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, God. Yeah, I enjoyed this, though. I, um, I... I it was enjoyed, good. I, it was good. I, James L. Brooks is a very good director, uh, and... Uh, the cast is cast is strong. They make me care about their characters. The relationships are authentic, and and the story for like going through like thirty years of you know thirty plus years of like a family's time together. It it was only me, like ten years, man. It, no, it wasn't because the movie starts with her with Deborah Winter as a baby. One scene. That's still the beginning of the movie. You can't just cut that scene out and be like, oh, it's the weed. Like, Too late. I already did. No, that's the beginning of the movie. So, yes, 30 years. Um, so um, so I, I, enjoy, I thought it was well-crafted to, like, you could tell the, you, the progression of, like, where everybody was and how everybody – changed as the years went on like they're like they they physically changed themselves the way they responded to situations the the temper of their voice i thought the acting was pretty extraordinary um i i texted this to you i couldn't tell if jack nicholson if i was supposed to like him at first at the beginning through the course of the movie i like got there i understood what they were doing at the beginning but i was like i he is terrible like this is like horribly horribly dated but um it wasn't it was supposed to show growth of character um and i enjoyed that i thought mclean was excellent like really top notch thought deborah winger was the same it broke my heart to see jeff daniels be such uh, a dip that that hurt me um and uh john lithgow who normally played villains pretty much up until this point was also uh, a big delight i enjoy john lithgow very much so um i think out of all of these like if like out of all of these films terms of endearment is the best sum of its parts which is why mm-hmm. like it wins you know like we talk about that like which movie wins by default it kind of wins out of yeah because it's like it's not blah yeah it's not and it's not purely there mostly for the technical aspect of Mm -hmm. of it you know what i mean like it's it's it feels authentic it's 
Raw, it focuses on it focuses on a mother and daughter, which in nineteen eighty three, heaven, you know, you know, like heaven forbid, you like focus. It's so funny to like do this, like the right stuff, which is like men and like how men built America and changed the world. And you're like, and then terms of endearment, like shoves it out of the way. It's like shut up. <laughs> yeah, shut up, right stuff. And I enjoyed that about this movie very much. <laughs> like, um, so it doesn't. Yeah, the movie doesn't bother to it, apologize for itself. Right. I like that. I think it's very well acted. the The story, I think, is a little flimsy to the point where it doesn't really, I think, come together until the end. Um. You mean when she finds out she has cancer, non-spoiler version? Uh, no, when she dies and, like, like she's, like, she's trying to make amends with her mother and her mother's like, what, why, you, why do you think we need to make amends? Like, we, we've been fine this entire time. Mm. Um, like, it shows you, like, how... Their relationship was kind of viewed differently between the both of them. Like, Deborah Winger's like, you know, we always fought. And her mother was like, when when did we ever fight? Um, I, I think that is a pretty authentic – I think that's a pretty authentic relationship. I actually was reading a couple of reviews afterwards, and a lot of people cited – that particular moment to be like, oh my god, this is me and my mom, or like, right, and that's this. what, yeah, but that's what I'm saying is like, without that general insight, like I don't, I don't have any personal insight into a mother daughter relationship. I don't know mm-hmm. about you, but um, without that personal insight, like the movie does take time to explain it, but it comes at the end, which I guess it kind of has to. Yep. But it's like you have to go through you have to go through the movie that at times just feels like it's going along. Oh, I to, sure I to see find out what was to find out the point of it, which is fine. But at times it just seems to like gloss over other things. Like why do you know why do they all of a sudden have marital problems? Like it's just some things that I think are left out. I don't think it's all of a sudden though, because that for 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 Flap and um, Deborah Winger's character, whose name escapes me for the moment, Deborah Mrs. Flap, Mrs. Flap, um, it, it, um, Shirley MacLaine tells her daughter right up front, like, I don't think you should marry, like, I don't think you should marry him tomorrow. He's this and this and this and this and this. And so, like, she gives you that frame of reference to how you're kind of supposed to look at Flap. And so, and, but, and so, like, but you're, you're looking, you're looking at this conversation as her giving these explanations. But as a viewer, you're also supposed to be looking at this conversation through the eyes of her daughter. And it's just a mother being overprotective who doesn't want her daughter to leave the nest. That is, that is uh, very true. Um, because it gives you that like baby scene at first where she's like very overprotective and, you know, and all that stuff. However, however, um, like the next, like, the next scene or with flapper like the morning after their wedding like mm-hmm. you know like how does flap react 
to things, you know, like look at his face. What is his mood? What in compared to her mood? And yeah, like, and then, and so he, he's not in it. He is just, he's not in it right from the beginning. And, mm-hmm. and Shirley McLean's character, Aurora knows that. And Deborah Winger's character can't see it. And that's yeah, the, I, that's the problem. Like I could, like, it was very obvious. I, I don't, me. yeah, I didn't really get that. Like I said, I got the scene of more of like, Looking at it from the daughter's perspective of the mother just not wanting her to leave the nest. So to come up with reasons. Like if you – like God forbid you ever find out like all the stuff your mother-in-law said about you prior to the marriage. Yeah. My mother-in-law yeah. is pretty good. She'd tell me to my face actually <laughs> yeah um so if she didn't like me so um yeah if if my in-laws didn't like me i wouldn't be married right now <laughs> so we'll put it that way oh trust me they tried no they definitely didn't hopefully hmm. i've talked to my wife uh <laughs> no so <laughs> um i, have I talked to my wife honey what did your parents say about us I, when yeah when they when they found out we were gonna get married yeah um, um um you know what it's it's time for dinner yeah <laughs> i um i watched a movie and now i have questions <laughs> yeah uh, i have to bring the cat for a walk no, you I, don't like the cat <laughs> yeah i was very i was very good i asked my father-in-law for permission before i asked my wife to marry me so i knew what their i knew what their answer was before we got engaged I don't think any fathers actually said no to that. I've seen people say no, actually. I have actually seen that happen. So, um, so you know what? Maybe it worked out for the better. Maybe it didn't. Maybe they got married anyway and the parents were right a couple years later. Who's to say? Um, so I can tell you a good story about one if you'd be so kind yeah, as to indulge me for a second. So. Go ahead. We're actually ahead of schedule, so I know. I need so, to get a drink of water. Okay, so get this. Um, so, parents said you really shouldn't go through with this wedding. Blah 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 blah. All the stuff that we just said, and she said, "No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway." Um, day of the wedding comes. Groom's late. Ten minutes. Fifteen minutes. Twenty minutes. Thirty minutes. None of the none of the none of the groomsmen are there. Best man. Nobody. So people are getting worried. They're like, oh, I should really, like, go investigate. You know, we should. Nobody's like, nobody. Somebody an- get Scooby Doo on the case, right? Nobody's calling. Like, nobody. Nobody's answering the phone. So one of the bridesmaids goes over to the house, mm-hmm. and all of the guys, including the groom, are drunk in the pool. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, just swimming about, and they, they. Went to the wedding drunk and I would assume kind of wet, very late, and they got married anyway and filed for divorce three months later. Hmm. I mean, that's one way not to lose the deposit on everything. Sure, is. and sure you get is. to keep the you get to keep the gifts. Yeah, there. Uh, yeah, arguably. Um, I also know I don't know this person personally, the story, but I do know that they this couple got married. Um, and it was raining at the reception. And so the bride was in like a, like a, off, like a side room mm-hmm. and it was raining and they couldn't do pictures. So she told the wedding coordinator to send everybody home 
because it was raining and they'll just have to do this a different day. Well, yeah. Like, it's not a good idea to do it on when it's raining on your wedding day. Alanis Morissette sang a whole song about it. No. No, that's terrible. They already got married. Everybody was there. They already paid for the wedding. And they were just like, no, go home. Everyone will just have to come back another day. Be like, we'll no, keep, I'm already we'll here once. So I'm not, yeah, I am not coming back a different day. <laughs> like, you can, like, I will take my blender and leave. <laughs> a good day. Nope. These are the practice <laughs> gifts. Come back with a, come back with a different. Gift. Oh goodness gracious! Take some cheese on your way out. It's already paid for. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed uh, this movie. Um, Danny DeVito was just kind of like in the movie. There. Like, yep. I, like, what was his relationship <laughs> to Aurora? I was a little confused. She, she had. Um... Like a very loose relationship with several guys until okay, I had thought so, but I wasn't Jack really Nicholson. sure if yeah. Danny DeVito was one of those people. Yeah, she was kind of like she was kind of stringing them along, right? Because they were all at the house and they were like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah." Yep. And he and Jacqueline was like, "Hey, you want to go to lunch?" Yep. Um, and she's like, "No." And then ten years later, she's, and like, she's hey, like, "Yes, you invited me to lunch ten years ago." Um, <laughs> Were, were you part of the right stuff, Jack Nicholson, <laughs> astronaut? So um, I did like his little his little blow up where she like calls him out for all his astronaut stuff on the wall. She's like, "What do you just use this to lure to people?" And he was like, he actually like let his guard down and was like, "I'm one of 106 astronauts in the world. This is like who I am. I'm actually proud of this." That hurt yeah. my feel. I enjoyed that. Like. Because it actually showed that he did have feelings and stuff. Um, so, anyway, give me some fun facts on terms of endearment. Shirley MacLaine turned down the role of Dr. Leach in Poltergeist, played by Beatrice Strait, to play the Oscar-winning role of Aurora Greenway in this movie. Deborah Winger behaved erratically on the set of this film because she was trying to get over a severe cocaine addiction. At one point, she and Shirley MacLaine got into a shoving match. Well, that's... Yep. Wow. James L. Brooks received a special gift at the end of the production to congratulate him for completing his first movie. This was a book of Life in Hell cartoons drawn by Matt Groening. Brooks was so impressed with the comics that he asked Groening to create cartoon shorts for the Tracy Ullman show. This gave rise to The Simpsons. Hmm. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yay, Simpsons. Anyway, that was fun. Before we do the rewindies, uh, let's say that you can find us on Twitter at Academy Rewind and Timothy PG13. You can write and review us on iTunes and find us all the places podcasts can be found. You can have it over patreon.com. Uh, slash Thought Bubble Audio to support all Thought Bubble Audio shows. And you can find all other Thought Bubble Audio programs at thoughtbubbleaudio.com. Palmer, you ready for the 1984 Rewindies? Yes, I am, Timothy. Wonderful. We're going to do the following categories as per we usually do. Supporting actor, supporting actress, production design, costume design, makeup and hairstyling, music, visual effects, cinematography, editing, sound, actor, actress, writing, and best picture. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. 1984 Rewindies, here we go. Supporting actor, I will go first per we usually do. Supporting actor goes to John Lithgow for Terms of Endearment. He's got like two scenes, man. Hey, if if um, if uh, Dame Judi Dench can win for her like eight minutes of screen time, 
uh, if that for Shakespeare in Love, I can give it to whoever I want. Also, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, so I'm giving it to John Lithgow. I will give it to um, – you know what? I am going to give it to Jack Nicholson because even though he was the male lead, he was definitely not the lead in the movie. You know, uh, I almost gave it to Jackie Boy myself because he did win. Um, uh, he did win – Best, best support actor. No, he won best supporting actor. Oh, good! Yay! Yeah, yeah, he won best supporting. There was something about his performance that I was still like uh, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, not not that I don't like Jack. Like, don't get me wrong, but I don't think this was his best performance. So, um, so we'll save that for an, maybe another time. Uh, supporting actress. I'm going to give it to Shirley MacLaine, who I had a heart to because like she's kind of the lead. But so is Deborah Winger. According to the Academy, that she is. Like, yeah, like, but so is Deborah Winger. So I was like, eh, Winger. Yeah, Winger. I don't know why I keep saying Winger. Um, um, Shirley, so I'm going to say I'm going to say Shirley MacLaine because I think Deborah Winger has Winger. What What is the matter with me? Deborah Winger has um, more of a has more of a. Um, of an arc than Shirley MacLaine does, but not much. It's like, it's tough. So anyway, Shirley MacLaine. Okay. Uh, I am going to give it to Glenn Close. Glenn Close. For she was fabulous. Yeah, she was also nominated for The Big Chill. Um, yep. Production design. I'm going to give it to The Right Stuff. Yes, The Right Stuff. Uh, costume design. I will continue my trend with The Right Stuff. The Dresser. Uh, very good. Good choice. Uh, makeup and hairstyling, I'm going to give to the dresser. The dresser. Good. Music, I'm going to give to the right stuff. I am mm, going to give it to the big chill because our category is not best original. That's true. Um, I actually had forgotten that. Dang it. Um, so visual. My follow-up would have been tender mercies if we were held to original. Yeah. Um um, I'm best music we just did. I'm visual effects. I'm going to give to the right stuff. Hmm. This is a tough one. Yeah. So many visual effects this time. Mm, you know. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to give it to the right stuff. The right. It, stuff. it narrow. It narrowly beats out the uh, epic special effects in the big chill. <laughs> um. The um extra long legs of Kevin Klein. Yeah. Uh, cinematography. I'm going to give to the right stuff. The right stuff. Yeah. Same cinematographer uh, for The Patriot and The Passion of the Christ, by the way. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Um, best editing, I'm going to give to Terms of Endearment. Mm, the right stuff. The right stuff. That's good. Yeah, I think either one, like, showing the passage of time is, mm -hmm. a, is an editing trick, and I, I think they both did it very well, but I'm going to do Terms of Endearment. Sound, I'm going to give to The Right Stuff. Yep, The Right Stuff. Um, best actor, I'm going to give to Sir Tom Courtney for The Dresser. I'm going to give it to Sir Albert Finney for The Dresser. Good for you, sir. I don't think Albert Finney is a sir. I knighted him myself. He Good. is a sir. Good for you. Uh, best actress, I'm giving to Deborah Winger. Yay, you said it right. Yay. Uh, I am going to give it to Shirley MacLaine. Yay. Um, and best writing, I'm going to give to The Dresser. I will also give to the dresser. Good. And best picture, I am going to give it to Terms of Endearment. I am going to give it to the dresser. Okay. That seems fine. All's yeah. fair. Yeah. 
In Excuse love and dressing. In love and dressing. Very good. In terms of dressing, all is yep. fair. Very good. Uh, Palmer, that was fun. I'm glad that yeah, we yeah. Uh, I'm glad that we talked about those movies and we don't have to do the 80s again for a whole other season. <laughs> for a whole season. Yay. Let's talk about what movies are coming out in 1974, our next episode. Here <gasps> we go. I just looked it up myself. I know. Here we go. Are the... we recording this tomorrow? No, we're not. I'm not ready. Um, <laughs> the Sting, American Graffiti, A Touch of Class, Cries and Whispers, and The Exorcist. I yep. assume that was the one you were excited about. Uh, that and The Sting. I mean... Oh, you should also be excited about American Graffiti, George Lucas's movie before Star Wars. Yeah, but it's not Star Wars. Um, true, although it does have Harrison Ford in it. Uh, and it is produced by Francis Ford Coppola. It sure is, back when they were friends and stuff. Um, They're still friends. Are they? Good for them. Uh, I just watched... Amer- <laughs> I didn't know American Graffiti was nominated, um, and... And I, I actually watched it last summer. Um, so it's like going to be a yearly, yearly thing for me, I guess. So here we go. Um, but anyway, we'll be back with 1974, The Sting, American Graffiti, A Touch of Class, Christ Whispers, and The Exorcist. And Palmer, I'm glad we said all we need to say because they're playing us off. No, I have so many other people to thank. Oh, that's too bad. Bye. Bye.